Jackie, what was the story about the uh, the notebooks, the Bob Ryan notebooks? Oh, yes. So uh, Bob Ryan goes, uh, becomes a columnist, and I'm going to be the beat writer for the Boston Globe, my lifelong dream. I'm going to be covering the Celtics. I can't even believe it. And Bob Ryan comes up to me, and he's got this pile of loose-leaf binders, like the ones you use in school. And he said, here you go. And I said, well, what is this? He said, this is your job. I said, what do you mean? He said, you got to do this. you got to fill it out every day. Anyone tends a sister more, you put it in here. Anybody 20 points or more against the Celtics, you put it in here. Lineups, you put it in here. Everything. And I'm looking at him, and I go through these notebooks. Meticulous. So Bob Ryan was analytics before there was analytics. He, it's all longhand. And he is telling me that if I'm going to cover the team properly, every single day I've got to <laughs> take this model and fill it out and do it exactly the way he described. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm never going to make it. But you know what? By doing it, you learned, you know, it was easy. So when you saw Mo Cheeks, you'd say, well, yeah, he's only one of six players this year or maybe ever that had 12 assists or more in six consecutive games. You knew all this. You know how his mind works? He's, I always said he's like Dustin Hoffman and Rayman. There's 4,367 4, straws. Okay, that's Bob <laughs> right. Ryan. And I'm not Bob Ryan, but he tried to make me Bob Ryan. And it was such an amazing gift that he gave me, and it made me very disciplined in the way I covered a game, which I, by the way, still do this to this day. I did it last night, Celtic Sisters. I had my – I'm not lying – Ask, ask uh, Andrea, the wonderful Andrea Pelkey from ESPN, who was sitting next to me, a huge loose-leaf binder notebook, and I'm doing my play-by-play because Bob Ryan instilled at me. But the funny part is, when I finally gave up the beat and became the sort of NBA person at large, I took my books and handed oh, them man. to Peter May and said, man. hey, this is what Bob Ryan told me to do, and this is... And, Bob, and Peter May goes, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of that. <laughs> So did did Bob ever like come back and like check on you, like look over your shoulder and no, be like, I don't know. Never. Okay, not okay. once, not one time. I want to check those time. notebooks. All right. But you know All what? Right. One of the greatest compliments that anyone has ever paid me was in the 1987 finals. Before I was doing the beat full time, I was at the finals with him, and we were in the <laughs> the L.A. The Lax Airport Marriott, while all the mm-hmm. Czech, the Texas Chainsaw guys, which would be Randy Galloway and, and, and oh, Fran Blindberry, all those guys in the hot tub drinking their brains out. I love them. They invited me to join him, but I'm in this, I'm in this hospitality room with Bob Ryan. He came up to me and said, kid, you got it right. And I thought, I can die and go to heaven now. I can die and go to heaven. Just the greatest yeah, guy You had a right of Boyd Galloway in them, I guarantee you that. Well, Galloway used to call me Sweet P. All right, Sweet P, get in this hot tub. We won't bite you. We may rip your clothes off, but we won't bite you. Holy hell. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's how it rolled. That's how they era. never did, by the way. And they never, ever did, by the way. They were all gentlemen, sort of. <laughs> Welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. Um, NBA season has started. We've got... Uh, We've got Tim McMahon in Houston, Texas, I believe. Are you not there? Are you there yet? I am in Houston, Texas at the beautiful Hotel Icon, upgraded to a nice big suite. Boy, there's a shout-out that's unnecessary. Hey, upgrade me and I'll shout you out. <laughs> um, for Pelicans Rockets tonight, is that right? Woo-hoo. That is correct. Mello's debut as a reserve. Mm. And Jackie is in Boston where she went to the Sixers um uh Celtics um opener last night. Uh 
you know, Jackie, uh, I lost, I won't discuss, um, what service I use, but I lost the game. I lost the signal last night on opening freaking night. So I had to rely on, um, you can go on TNT and you can watch like a, 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 a sideline camera. Like I had to like rely on alternate camera. And I'm going to tell you, I really liked it actually, but, um, I didn't, I didn't feel like you I know, could you watch, watch the game. You, you can stream TNT, you know. Yeah, um, I'm not going to go into the details. I had to watch the, okay. the sideline camera. It, actually, I enjoyed watching it. It was kind of a completely different way to watch a game, but I couldn't get a good feel. So, Jackie, um, tell me what I what I missed in that game. Well, horrific game. <laughs> I mean, sloppy, terrible. They, no one could hit a three-point shot. Um, they're very, very hyped up. But I, I will say this. It's only one game. I get that, but... You know, Markel Fultz, as our friend Tim McMahon's forecast, mm. it still can't shoot. And you know what? Ben Simmons still can't shoot, and it still does not matter. Oh, my goodness. Some of the plays he made, it made, it made me go back to, um, Brian, what you had told me and what I've heard since, how people are comparing him to Irvin Magic Johnson. I understand it because his passing ability is unbelievable. His peripheral vision, his court vision, outstanding. I thought he was terrific last night, although... It was interesting to listen to some of the post-game scuttlebutt. Uh, a couple of scouts had said to me, man, he's got to learn to play hard, you know, wire to wire, especially on the defensive end. thought that was an interesting note. Um, Kyrie Irving had the, you know, the worst game, match the worst game of his life. And, the, and what I love about Kyrie Irving, he was 0 for 8 in the first half. Took some pretty good shots, got a couple of them blocked by Embiid. Um, but, what he, you know, I went to him after the game and I said, so this is the worst game you've ever had in a half. Except for, you know, December 6, 2013 against the Atlanta Hawks. He said, I remember that game. Mike Brown took me out after I missed my, my first shot of the second half and never played me a game. So, like, he remembers these things, you know. It's, it's just <laughs> his incredible memory on display. He was rusty. Gordon was very, very rusty. But they still won going away. I think their depth showed up. If I'm the Celtics and I'm Brad Stevens, I got them locked in the film room today to show them how poor their transition defense was. I mean, it was atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. But, any, you know, Marcus Morris, people are like, well, he's never going to accept his role. He's going to be disgruntled. Well, if he shoots like that, he's going to be playing a lot of minutes. And Terry Rozier, after the game, you know, said to me on, I think we had a live feed, but I don't know. Hey, I'm going to make it as difficult as possible for Brad Stevens to sit me. So if you're the Celtics, you walk out of there, you're like, that was an ugly, ugly game, but we'll take it. And if you walk out of there, if you're the Sixers, you're like, okay, we still haven't quite figured them out. Joel Embiid shot 42% last year against the Celtics defense. Didn't do much better again last night. Uh, Al Horford does a really, really good job on Embiid. And he won't be mentioned in anybody's story today, but he was just Al, like he always facilitating blocks, four or five from the floor, created great opportunities for his teammates. So I had a guy who was watching the game tell me that he thought Aaron Baines outplayed Embiid when they were up head-to-head -head with each other. Um, so I yeah. don't think well, he was Embiid's finest... Yeah, I don't no. think Embiid's finest game. Um, well, and, you know, as you told me afterwards, Brian, anniversary of his little brother's death, Arturo's death, four years ago to the day yesterday. And I, I had a chance to talk to uh, Embiid to the side mm. before he did the general media. And he was very emotional. He, you know, I think part of it is because I went over there, I met his mother, saw his son, his brother's grave. You know, we were over there in Cameroon some years yeah. ago. 
And so I'm kind of intricately involved with his mom and dad, even more so really than with him, to be honest. And so I think he saw me and it maybe it triggered a little something, but very emotional and said, you know, my head, my concentration wasn't always where it should have been because that's an anniversary that's tough for him. His mom has never recovered from the death of his brother. She'll be the first to tell you that. She doesn't go out anymore. Um, it really, really affected their family. So maybe we give him a pass for game one. And all the, these, uh, these Cameroonian players, they've all got tragedy in their lives. Oh, oh, it's just terrible. They do. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and they're just like Cameroon is just exploding, relatively speaking, in the NBA. And actually, African players in general, um, Amadou, yes. uh, how you pronounce his last name? Diallo. Uh, Amadou Fall. Uh, oh, fall. Sorry. Is it pronounced I fall? You meant Amadou no. Fall, the head of the NBA no. Africa. No. Is that yes, Am- Amadou okay. Fall. I wanted to say it right. Amadou. Uh, so they, there's a there's a um, there's That's an academy in Africa. In Africa, I believe it's in Dakar. Jackie, is that right? I think it's in Senegal. Um, um, well, that's where that's where some of, that's where little Dang has something. They all have little pockets of thing, but NBA Africa is you know it's still in South right. Africa. Yeah. Uh, right, but I think the the academy that Amadou runs is in Senegal. But please, I, I don't have it in front of me. But um, you know, they run these camps and they find these players, and um, right. they send them to this academy. And I, I remember talking to some people at the NBA about you know it was a real difficult challenge to get this academy going, um, to get the facility right. To you know, just mm-hmm. it's hard to get hardwood to Senegal, like to put a basketball well, court in. It's hard to get bleachers. Um, right. stuff like and most that. of the courts most of the courts in Africa are not hardwood they're they're cement I mean the ones we right. build for shooting touch you know my organization that I'm involved with in Rwanda uh, we don't build hardwood courts are you kidding for one thing the climate isn't conducive to it even the cement courts have to be redone every two to three years there's just a tremendous amount of of heat and humidity there yeah so um, but this is really I mean in addition to affecting the players lives because what was happening I don't want to just like go down this avenue because we're excited about the NBA season, but there was some exploitation going on by the European teams. They would come in and find an African player, sign him up, um, bring him to, to, you know, the country in Europe. And if it didn't work out, they would kind of get stuck there. They didn't have, you know, they, they, they didn't have rights because they were an, you know, an immigrant and they would be sort of left by the side of the road and they wouldn't have been necessarily taught, um, the game or given any education because there is no no education that comes along with European basketball development, at least schooling. And so what they've really done, the NBA has gone in there, invested it. And like, let's be honest, they're over there trying to find the Serge Ibaka's, the Joel Embiid's, the Dikembe Dikembe Mutombo. Yeah. But they're also impacting a lot of kids and they're getting, they're sending them to, you know, colleges in the United States and getting scholarships. Right. Anyway, Lupa um, Mute leads the charge in Cameroon. Obviously, he is the yeah, grand. He's uh, the, the, the he's that. yeah he's the 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 mentor of all these uh, players. So anyway, um, uh, it was not a banner night for the Sixers, no. <laughs> and um, you know uh, they they talked about it on the broadcast, and it's something that I see. And, and Brett Brown talked about it before the game. And McMahon, you were all over this. You were talking about this last week. They're walking a, a, a difficult line. They're really trying to commit themselves to playing Fultz and giving him important minutes and to develop him. But yet at the same time, they are competing. They are a team that has the talent to win the East, to get to the finals. And this is going to be a line that they're going to have to walk all year long. And, and, and their patience and dedication to that is going to be interesting to watch. And for all the talk about 
you know, the work that Fultz put in and, you know, he's talking about, you know, I, I, I expect to be most improved player and blah, blah, blah. He's not a drastically different player than the guy that they pulled from the playoff rotation last year. He is still scared to shoot. And that, uh, look, as great as Ben Simmons is, you can only have one guard <laughs> in today's NBA on the floor who it's hard to have one not, honestly not, yeah it's hard you, to have you got exactly. you got to be Ben Simmons to get away with it exactly to have a non three point shooting guard but you know Simmons was so great last year when they were able to surround him with shooters and and they're going to miss Ilyasova they're going to miss Bellinelli those guys were a big part in you know look at the Sixers record kind of before and after uh, those guys were a big part of the Sixers finishing the season so strong. That is a shooting star of team right now, and that makes playing Markel Fultz for significant minutes really hard to do. But you also, uh, Brett Brown is in a tough situation, and I think he, he added to the difficulty of it by putting him in the starting lineup in the first place because now he's kind of half pulled the plug on it with the second half thing, Reddick starting. But you can't totally pull the plug on a guy where confidence has been a major issue because, I mean, this is a number one overall pick they've got invested in. But you know what? I, I So I've sort of changed my mind about starting Markel after talking to Brett a little bit last night. Because if you, in fact, it is a priority for you, for Markel Fultz to succeed. And, I, and by the way, I still do believe it's possible. I don't know on what level, but I still think it's possible. Let's, so the way you make him succeed is you surround him with the best players. And that's what I think the idea was with the starting lineup. And, you know, Reddick was in there. Reddick played good minutes. And, you know, he's at the end of games, if you need shooting, he'll be out there. Excuse me, I'm about to yeah. sneeze. And so he'll be out there. So, uh, you know, I talked to Joel a little bit about that as well. He and Markel are very close. He said, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep with him. Uh, he, he's a, he's a friend. I got a close eye on him. So he's getting support from within. But at some point, guys, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And as much as they may like Markell and want to support him, they're going to have to win basketball games. It's it's a real interesting thing that's developing because typically, even in year two, you don't see a team that has a number one pick that's competitive. You know, normally a team that's getting the number one overall pick can let the guy fail a little bit. It's a, mm-hmm. a right. unique situation. Right. Same with the Celtics, but the, it's different. When I watch the Celtics, yeah, Jackie, you got to worry about um, Tatum. Who who was the best player on the floor last night? Tatum, not even close. You bet. He you just bet. he just looks he just looks Ready. so yeah he just he just looks the part. I know that's not a scientific thing to say. Um, the, the thing that I was, was struck me about the Celtics last night, yeah, Hayward didn't look good, Kyrie didn't look good, um, yeah. uh, but and they won anyway, going away. So think about right, that, <laughs> right? And so the thing that uh, I hate to beat the, the drum because I talk about this all the time, but margin for error, margin for error, margin oh. for error. Mm-hmm. This the Celtics, like last night, Marcus Morris has a wonderful game. Uh, Aaron Baines has a real solid performance, you know, Terry about Rozier. as good as you can expect. Yeah. Terry Rozier. Okay, so guess what? In their, you know, Friday they're playing the Raptors. Maybe Marcus Morris will be trash in that game. Maybe he'll mm-hmm. be one of eight and he'll get in foul trouble and he'll get technicals, whatever. Brad Stevens can just ease off that and go another direction. I mean, they have so many different directions they can go. And, uh, and they didn't even, we haven't even mentioned Jalen Brown yet. Um, right. or, although, or Al. I'm telling you, Al Horford had a great game. And and they have bodies to throw at Embiid. You know, they have Baines. They 
Al, Al took him. Remember we were talking, Brian, about how Horford took Embiid one-on-one in the playoffs? He did it again last night. Just looked him, sized him up, drove to the hole and scored on him. And I like, and you know, way, Dan, Daniel Tice would be getting more minutes on a different team. You can play him, would. too, as he your would. backup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's how, easing how about, in after some off-season surgery. I mean, some in-season surgery, too. So he's going to, you know, he, he did, he's not a headliner like Irvin and Hayward, but he's got some rust to, to dust off also. How about Baines morphing into a three-point sniper? Oh, I know. What I mean, a riot. That's so funny. I the love shooting Stevens, the guy with, with his form is terrible, though. But it's, so it's crazy. But it's that three, corner three. We all know that's right? the closest. Yeah, yeah, it's that closest. And, but he's one, knocking right? him down. All he was eleven. But, but he in started. The playoffs. He had Yeah, he started making him in the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He made. It was three of twenty-one last regular season, eleven of twenty-three in the playoffs. I think it was two of four last night. And so Embiid's got this, you know, big guy just banging on him and making him making it tough on uh, one end of the floor when Embiid's trying to score, and then he's got to you know get out there and, and guard him on the three-point line on the other end. And that's the breather when he doesn't have to deal with Al Horford. A couple of years ago, Baines, you know, he was with the, uh, the the Pistons, and they signed him like this three year deal, and he yeah. had an opt out. And Stan Van Gundy was kind of goading him to opt out. He was like, "Oh, we're not gonna. There's no way he'll stay with us. He's going to be so valuable on the open market." You know, he was like, "Oh, we won't." You know, really, he wanted him to opt out. They were sort of right. trying to kick him to the door, and people were out there saying, "Well, there's another spur. Went somewhere else, and it's not the same player." Look how effective he's been for Boston. He's been terrific for them. And I'll tell you, I talked to Van Gundy. He had seller's remorse the, the minute Aaron Baines was gone from his locker room because that guy's a great locker room guy on top of everything else. Um, well, we'll be talking a lot about the Celtics uh, in the coming months. Um, so I want, kind of want to talk about the game that you're going to tonight, uh, McMahon. Um, I spent some time with the Pelicans last week. They did not have a good preseason. Um, they were 0-5. Not that your preseason record right. matters. Um, they did not defend well at all in the preseason. Now, Anthony Davis looks phenomenal. I have a piece on Anthony. I had some time with him last week, and we'll talk about that later. But uh, um and then, of course, we've got the Rockets uh, sort of, you know, in a way. I, I mean, I, is it fair to say the new look Rockets? I mean – it's not really like their core players are that different, but it is. It feels like a different team, uh, you know. I certainly, mean, certainly the, the tweaked Rockets, and and obviously the intrigue there is how does Melo fit in? And look, Melo's going to come off the bench tonight for the first time in his career. I mean, he literally has started every single game. He's never come off the bench even played. once. Wow, not one single time. As a matter wow. of fact, he uh, he has the second most consecutive starts to begin a career. In NBA history, who's first? Do you remember? Uh, you know what? Uh, it would be really nice if I had if I had that in front of me, but I, I it's don't. It's not LeBron because LeBron came off the bench in one game. I've, I feel like I've told this story before. Do you know this story? Should I move on, I, or do you? No, I've not heard this story. Um, so, two thousand seven, I think um, Andy Verjao had held out. And um, LeBron, LeBron had gotten hurt and he missed a few games. And he was coming back the same game that Verjao was coming back. It was in December. Verjao had held out for the first six weeks of the season. And LeBron was trying to protect Verjao, didn't want him to get booed. Um, and so um, uh, he checked. He, he and Verjao came off the bench at the exact same time. And LeBron hadn't played in a few games and it was at home. So when LeBron came in, they, of course, weren't going to boo. They are happy to see him. 
and he yeah. did it to protect to, to protect Verizhou. And, uh, you know, then he played his normal minutes off the bench and they won. And after the game, a reporter asked Mike Brown whether or not um, uh, he would keep LeBron coming off the bench. And Mike said with a straight face, I'll have to watch the film. Um, but so LeBron well, has actually twice, come off the bench. Twice Mike Brown has come up this morning. That's interesting. <laughs> right. He's hot. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little worried about the Pelicans. Um for the Pelicans and about the Pelicans, there's they got a lot of pressure on them this season, um, and you know they lost Rondo, who was great for them. And although I un, I can tell you that Alfred Payton looks like a different player when he's playing an up tempo as opposed to walking the ball up the court like he did in Orlando, you know, like under Scott Skiles. Um, but. Um, they're under a lot of pressure, and Anthony Davis is not suffering any fools. Uh, I can't tell you the difference. Some of, some of his quotes are out there. I mean, he's been saying this stuff for a while, but the difference between talking to a you know twenty twenty one year old Anthony Davis is just when I first started talking to him, and talking to a twenty five year old Anthony Davis. I mean, I know that's obvious, but he is talking and, and looking at the game on a completely different level. And he like he, the, the the thing that he told me is when when you talk about LeBron James and Kevin Durant uh, and Steph Curry, uh, you don't talk about them about oh is their team uh, a playoff team or not will they be an MVP candidate mm-hmm. or not you know when the season starts that it, LeBron's going to be an MVP candidate and Durant's going to be an MVP candidate and that their teams are going to challenge for championships. And he goes, that's who I want to be. I want to be that guy. I don't want there to be a question whether is this going to be a good year or a bad year. I just want the expectation to be that it's going to be a great year and I'm going to have a great team that's going to challenge for a championship. And I'm prepared to, to make the sacrifices and do the work and do what I have to do to be that player. And that to me is like not – that's the, an evolved player talking, and he backed it up last year. He backed it up after Marcus Cousins got hurt. He had the three best months of his career, and I have no doubt he will continue playing at that level. Um, I think it's exactly what a guy embracing his uh, his spot in the league says. But it worries me because it's also uh, you know saying uh, the Pelicans got to be there, and I just don't know if they're that team. I don't know if they're that team this year either. I was going to say, a couple of years ago, he put up 28 and 12, very similar numbers to last season, and they won 34 games. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, and, and Jack, I think you were going to say, you know, nobody would have a complaint if this guy exactly at some point decided, look, I need to, to, to find greener pastures. Nobody will complain because he's done everything right and he has said all the right things. He has tried to in- integrate whoever it is that has come uh, to the team. I'm sure, Brian, in your travels with them, you know how, how much he's, he's worked with and, and been there for Julius Randle, who's come on to the team and, you know, had a relatively decent preseason for them, I think, right? So um, I don't think this is one of those cases where it's Jimmy Butler shooting his way out of town, out, you know, from the second team in a, in a calendar year. I think people would understand. Maybe, I don't know if the New Orleans Pelicans fans would understand, but he certainly given them every opportunity to make this work. One of the things he said to me is, I really want uh, Julius and Alfred to experience the playoffs. 
because Alfred Payton never made it. Julius Randle never made it. Not that they've been right. in the league that long. Julius has been in the league two years. Uh, well, I guess they've been both of them four years, right? Both the same four years. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, and he's like, you know, I really, I, I want them to experience, you know, that, you know, that awesome experience. Like he's, he's like, I want to give that to them. So he definitely talks about it that way. And, you know, Drew Holiday is, uh, a fabulous player. Um, it's not he like is. he has no help, but I mean that well, statement. Meritic, I mean, Meritick's decent too. But yeah, that's, and is you it know, enough? He, again, this is something else he said to me. That and, and Jackie, you know, well, both of you guys have a, a lot of experience. He's like, um, when I guard centers, it wears my legs out. Um, and so code I red, a lot, code red, code red. Right. <laughs> so so, I, so what I spent a lot. He said, well, so I spent a lot of time doing. Over the last nine or ten months, he's really building up my lower body so that my legs don't get tired. And he said, I would rather defend the center a little bit more because we need Miritich. I don't want to tire his legs out. We need him shooting those three-pointers. That gives me space. Right. I mean, this is how he's talking now. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. he said to me that he doesn't, you know, he's really tried to stop shooting almost at all during practice because he really wants the team to get in as many reps as possible where he's not bailing them out of possessions. And he said, I'm not worried about scoring. He goes, the way I'm going to run the floor, and he does. I I was at one of their games last week where he was out running guys up and down the court. He says, I'm going to get six to eight points a game just because I run the floor. I'm not worried about my scoring. i got to get these guys going. I mean, Hmm. he he is talking and doing everything that you expect you know, and he's going into his seventh year. I mean, this is basically, in my mind, the beginning of his prime. We're opening into Anthony Davis's prime here. So, um, I mean, he's 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 there. I mean, I went to this preseason game last week, and he's diving into. He, he at one point he flew into the first row of stands and dislodged like six seats. Um, fortunately, there was literally nobody sitting in the seats in New Orleans. Ooh, there was like and, eight empty first-row seats. Not, not um, unusually. It's too, bad. Uh, too bad. In a preseason game, and another time he went diving under the floor to save a ball out of bounds. Um, he had The game I was at, he had 36 and 15 in 31 minutes. And I said to him after wow. the game, I go, what are you doing out there diving? And he goes, yeah. this is our la-, he said, this is our last preseason game. I said, yeah. He goes... I wanted everybody, including the Rockets, to see that I'm ready for the season. Hmm. Oh, I love Anthony um, Davis. My preseason yeah, choice for player of the year. Like, this MVP. is not the guy that I talked to. I remember being a Team USA when he was a part of that, and he was just sort of not... Monotone. I mean, he was... Yeah, yeah he just, you know, his... his He's just... He's he's grown up. He's here. He's arrived. Um, right. You but know, that happens, uh, in, Brian. That you're happens right, Jackie. Yes, you know, in this f- in this story, yeah, in this story, I was talking about how superstars sometimes it's a it's a singular moment, sometimes it's a it's it's a season or it's a it's or it's a, a, a month in the season where they achieve like a consciousness, and like with LeBron, I can tell you it was the Eastern Conference Finals in two thousand seven where they upset the Pistons. LeBron realized not only can I beat these guys, they're scared of me. I can beat mm-hmm. them. Um, in talking to some, I, I happen to be at this game in New York. Um, but when you talk to people around the Warriors, they'll tell you that, um, when Curry went 11 of 13 at Madison Square Garden in 2013, he had, you know, he was finally healthy with his ankles. And not that it's just one game. Obviously a lot pours into that, but after that game, he felt like more emboldened and he let his game come out more. 
Um, he had 54 that night. And, it, you know, it wasn't even that great of a Knicks team, but just that, you know, that game elevated him. Um, you know, last year when uh, DeMarcus Cousins went down, Anthony Davis played like trash for five games. Um, and he was pouting because he was playing center and not happy about it. And he basically had a moment where he was like, all right, I can't do this anymore. I, if I, I'm going to have to lead this team. I'm going to have to be a, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, play. If I, if I want to be recognized as a great player, I'm going to have to deal with this. And he was bonkers, like average 31 and 14 the rest of the season after that. And, um, he's there. But don't you think, don't you think some of it too is, again, for, let's forget what's even happening on the court. There's just an emotional maturity that goes along with this. So think about these young guys. They come out. They're, you know, number one picks. Everybody, they've got agents. They've got marketing advisors. They've got family. Everybody's saying, say the right thing. Don't engage with the media. Just do your job. Just don't worry about it. It'll all come. I mean, the worst interview I've ever done in my life was my first interview with Shaquille O'Neal. I went to Orlando. They hadn't started playing yet. He was horrible. This big guy who talked monitor, I could barely hear him. At one point I said... I really cannot hear you, Shaquille. Could you just speak up a little bit? I could not hear him. And I laugh with him about it all the time now because he went on to be perhaps the single greatest interview I've ever encountered. I mean, who can, with that quick-witted personality. But someone told him, or maybe he just decided himself, you know, when he was coming out of the gate, nope, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'll let my game speak for itself. And then as as you develop and grow and mature, sure. you grow into not only your game, but you also go into your personality. And I think that's what's happening with Anthony. We found him, you know, for that film, Basketball Love Story. He was really, really good in that film and talking mm-hmm. about how he wanted to be LeBron. And, and you know, just it, he was relaxed. He he was um, revealing in a way I had, had never seen him before. Well, that's who the Celtics want, isn't it, Jackie? Of course. Well, they've always wanted him. But who right. wouldn't? I mean, stand in line right. if he right. becomes available. And Rich Paul, we, people say, oh, well, that's no big deal. Oh, stop. It's a very big deal. Uh, you, don't, you don't change agents unless you're considering changing teams. I mean, he, he, doesn't, need, he doesn't need to change his agent to negotiate a max contract with the normal. True, Pelicans but he also doesn't need to. Up. He also, I, I, here's what I want to say about, about this Rich Paul thing. I know because Rich represents LeBron, and I mean, I'll just, I'll just be uh, transparent here. I've known Rich for 15 years, okay? I knew Rich when he was in, he was like the extra in Sprite commercials when LeBron was 19, okay? So I've known Rich for a really long time. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to carry his water here, but I'm just going to tell you. This was a huge get for Rich Paul to land Anthony Davis. Now he's got other big time clients. He's got mm-hmm. John Wall. He's got Ben Simmons. Um, he is not just going to do, he's not going to take Anthony Davis to the Lakers because he, uh, because he's trying to help out LeBron. He's going to oh, represent no, no, no Anthony. Saying that. Yeah. yeah. You know, but no, but there's a lot of people who made the assumption. Oh, he yeah. hired Rich Paul. He's going to the Lakers. Um, no, no, but I think Tim's points, right? He hired Rich Paul. He might need to look around. I think that's yeah, he, a he hired Rich Paul because it, there's going to become a point when he, maybe he doesn't know exactly when. We certainly don't know when, but there's going to become a point where he evaluates the situation and says, look, I don't believe I can be uh, or I can win a championship with the New Orleans Pelicans. And as you said, he's entering his prime. Clearly, he is an MVP candidate. I mean, he is one of the top 
you know, whatever you want to say, three, five players in the NBA. And as he goes through his prime, he's going to want to be competing for championships. Now, they just came off the best season in franchise history. They got to the second round of the playoffs. Is, is that the ceiling in New Orleans? If that's the ceiling, and, and now we're talking about, you know, they're going to have to fight to make the playoffs again. If, if that's the ceiling, can't see him sticking with the Pelicans throughout his prime. And, you know, then it becomes Rich Paul's job to help steer him uh, to a franchise where he can compete for championships. Yeah, I just, I just think, I don't think he could have said it better. He goes, I don't want there to be a question about my competition. I don't know how you can say it better. Uh, I, I, I don't, he, he doesn't, he wants to be an automatic championship contender. And I think that's a reasonable thing to say. Um, I'm, I'll be interested to see, uh, their, uh, we'll see how they start because, um, uh, uh, you know, in talking to Alvin Gentry, he was, you know, he was just really frustrated by their defense in the uh, preseason. Uh, and guess what? He gets one of the juggernaut offenses of all time coming out of the gate with the Rockets. So, um, not exactly I mean, I the easiest. Gonna, I think they really will miss Rondo. Not, 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 not necessarily. I'm not, you know, saying their defense is falling apart because Rondo's not there, but I'm just saying, I think Rondo fits so well there and was such a critical part of the pace they played with, you know, the preparation. Uh, the, the confidence, I just think the drop off from Rajon Rondo to Alfred Payton is something that, uh, can take them from being a second round team to being a lottery team. Hmm. Um, In this well, Western Conference. Lot, yeah, if they're a lottery team, then they're gonna have, you know, the thing about it is they can offer Anthony Davis a $240 million extension next year, assuming that he makes the All NBA team, which if he's healthy, he will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. <laughs> he's just, he's phenomenal. So, By the way, he just, made first team all NBA his third year. I mean, I'm not like, I don't want to make it sound so, like, uh, he just now exploded, but you know. Let's do our own little, you know, um, amateur poll. Who among us believes that Anthony Davis will sign that extension with the New Orleans Pelicans? I, I don't. I, I think that, uh, the question is whether he makes it to the end of his contract before he, before he forces a trade. I don't, you, think, I don't think he's with the Pelicans through his prime. I do not think he will sign the extension. And that, then we play the game where he will be in going into this final season without committing, and we're going to have a game of chicken. Um, right. He won't so necessarily been, have to demand a trade. It may just be inherent. Mm-hmm. Well, and so then you go back and you look and say, okay, which contending teams have the assets? And and. and it, yeah, you, you, you suddenly all roads lead to Boston at that point. I well, mean, but, but the Sixers, Sixers have stuff. There's, yeah, you know, there's other teams true. that has stuff. Yeah, but it'll well, be just so the Celtics are just so loaded in assets. And again, but this I, is I, a, I hate to harp on this, but that Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum oh, trade—it's unbelievable. Where you give this uh, the Celtics, and, and the only way this gets screwed up is if the Kings get the number one overall pick, and then they still get the Sixers pick, which ain't terrible. But, uh, no, but, I mean, if yeah. they get uh, the second, third, fourth overall pick in addition to Tatum, who looks like he's going to be an absolute superstar, oh, oh my goodness. Uh, that's so why this is a, the game. Is, let's play the game. Yeah. Let's play it. Yeah. Let's play it. It's so much fun to play. Uh, hopefully, Andrew the Hahn doesn't matter. Mind. So, if you're the Celtics, or matter. what will you give up <laughs> for Anthony Davis? <laughs> Are you awake, so, Andrew? Are you there? Oh, I'm here. He's on the West Coast. Oh, okay. he, I know. You're he, in your jammies, aren't you? Tell the, the thing truth. About it Tell is, the truth. 
You're is in it jams. Andrew? We had a we're, we're short, a little short staffed on our editing staff. So Andrew Han has been working. Did you work last night? Uh, oh, not no. officially. I did not. Oh, unofficially. All right. Well, um, oh, jammies man. or not, Andrew the Han, jammies. Are you in your jammies? Just tell us. Well, Jackie, the truth is, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. I'm in my jammies, so <laughs> oh, it doesn't really mean anything. Actually, uh, <laughs> are those are those hammer pants you wear officially pajamas? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Please, please explain that you are wearing clothes just so people's imaginations don't run wild, okay? Well, I mean, let, let their imaginations run wild, yeah. Okay. Um, what a racy so, podcast today. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> Jackie, will you tell me, will you advise me just so I have how many, what the Celtics draft position, can, they can have up to four first-round picks, is that right? Oh, my God, they have so many picks. Yeah, they do. They, they, so they have their pick. Yep, they have, they have they have the Clippers pick. They have a Clippers pick in there. They, hold on, which, let me call it up for you. But okay, they, they have the a, Grizzlies top eight protected. They have the Grizzlies pick from pick, Jeff yeah. Green, and isn't the Clippers right. pick also a Jeff Green? Like yep. yes, somehow that's I mean, the gift that keeps goodness. on giving. Z- okay, Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe pointed this out. They have two picks that were traded for Jeff Green. I love that. Two oh, first round picks. Okay. So they have, let's say, so the number for 2019, they have the Sacramento pick. The me, me, so Memphis let's just, pick, for the, if it falls for the sake of the argument, for the sake of argument, yeah. let's just, let's just assume that that's going to be a top five pick that, that, that they, that the they, Memphis that they're going to have. No, the okay. um, two and five. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Top five pick of Sacramento. So the Memphis Grizzlies has to fall outside the top eight. If it doesn't, then it goes to. Let's assume they have that pick because I think that will, I think the Grizzlies will okay. be outside the top. Eight. And then the Clippers pick has to fall outside the top 14. So if they get that pick as well, and their own don't pick, they have four first-round picks. Probably not, no, the I don't issue. Probably not the Clips. Let's assume that they have three first-round picks for the sake of this discussion. Okay, just for argument's sake. Including, including two lottery picks. An early yes, lottery yeah. pick and a, and a yes. later lottery pick. On a team that really <laughs> doesn't need any more young players. I, I, you know? I, I okay. want a team that's stuffed with talent. You know, I mean, All right, geez. so and and let's talk about their traders. They will wow, not be so able to. They will not, in theory, be able to trade Terry Rozier because he will be a free agent. Because you know, you would assume you would do this before the draft if you made this offer. Um, right. You can't. You won't be able to trade Rozier because they did not extend him. So Rozier is off the table. Um, but but have, Marcus Smart is not. Marcus Smart is there. Jalen Brown. Uh, Jalen Brown would be the the signature piece. And they love, yes. certainly love Jalen Brown. But Jason Tatum is untouchable. He's got to Agreed. Be. My goodness. Abs- without He's- question. And, and also you know, Kyrie. Brown's numbers are very friendly. Very friendly. Kyrie is, you can't trade Kyrie either because he, I mean, not that they would, but They don't want to. They don't want to. I know, but just they functionally can't because he would be a free agent. So. Right. Um, right. And so. Um, so I believe Tice is up too at the end of this year. So, because he's a nice little piece for somebody, right? Um, but I don't think you can include him either. So, so, ba- so Baines is also up. Morris is also up. A lot of those guys are up at the end of this. You season. probably have to put Smart in there just to make the money work. The money work, right? Um, Unless you and put so the qu- in there. About who? Oh, that's interesting. Gordon Hayward. Hayward. Gordon Hayward. Big money, baby. Big money. But they I love mean, him. if you're talking about, yeah. if you're talking about, well, I, I hear you, but he ain't Anthony Davis. Well, if no, I no, could, of course he isn't. Of course he isn't. If, the only person I would not trade on the Boston Celtics for Anthony is Davis and this is Jason Tatum. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Only I'm one. in 100 percent agreement. Uh, it's a and, compelling and I, package. Any of, the, any of the picks would be. A, yeah, look, the the whole great thing about having those picks is suddenly you can put together a really attractive package for a guy like Anthony right. Davis. 
I mean, if you but could you need get, the money if, to work, you guys know how it goes. You got to throw in Shemi right. Ojale, maybe who who I like. You know, tough young player who can defend a little bit, but who's probably on the outside looking in now because of the depth they have now that Hayward and everybody's back. Um, you know, he didn't even get in last night. I mean, he got one minute of garbage time. You know, he's he's short money, so you might have to throw some of these guys in to make the money work. The money's always well, the tricky part. Well, I'll tell you what. If I had to trade Anthony Davis and I could get a top five pick and Jalen Brown. That might be enough. But it doesn't. I mean, the money doesn't work, so you got to throw in stuff. I know, I know, I know. So then know, you do have to throw in Smart. Because Smart's, um, I, I, uh, smart's who's on beating the books that? next year at $12 million. Oh, I don't Who's think anybody. Jalen Brown is a right. is he's a he's right. a really really great talent who is ready to win now. By the way, I just love so, I love that whole dunk thing with with <laughs> with Embiid. He's like, yeah, well, well you know, he it blocked wasn't it, but really I dunk. No, it wasn't, wasn't really but it was like it was still a great moment. He powered it through, and you know, the two of them they're friendly, so they're going back and forth. But Jalen Brown is like, bring it on, and like, forget it. Everybody's talking about Tatum. Here I am. So that, you know, you know, all year long, that's going to be something. Brown, in my mind, is not a uh, franchise cornerstone, but boy, would I like to have him on my team. Um, uh, define, define franchise cornerstone. He, he's not going to be the best player on a championship team, but he's damn sure a, a foundation okay. piece that... He could be Scotty that, Pippen. Uh, I mean, I tell you, he's, he's yeah. an unbelievable mm. defender. Unbelievable I defender. I see. And he's not I, there yet. I don't want him to be. I don't, I don't want him to be my first or second best player. I think if he's my third best player, I feel pretty good about that. I, you know what? You might do all right if he's your second best player because we don't know where he's going to evolve yet. He's worked very hard yeah, he's, offensively. He's his young. game's a little herky jerky. He's still young. I, I think I've told you this before. There's a part of him that reminds me a little bit of Reggie Lewis. And if you judged Reggie Lewis in his first two NBA seasons, you wouldn't be talking about him as a number one or number two franchise player either. And I will maintain to, to my dying days that had he lived, had he flourished, he would have been a Hall of Famer. I believe that with all my heart. And well, that, that so, wasn't happening well, right out of the box. And what's scary about the Celtics, though, Jalen Brown is their what best player? Well, who Fourth, can say? Fifth? I mean, my well, goodness, you know? Well, right now, see, Gordon Hayward is... Not himself. I'm going to give him a couple of months. So he's right. he's more mm-hmm. valuable to them than Gordon Hayward right now. But I think their intention would be for Hayward to be ahead of him in the pecking order. But who knows? By the way, that play, which was a remarkable play, it might be one of the highlights of the year where he – first off, the uh, – it took a little bit of guts to like try to try to – he was, he was too him, far – he was way too far away to dunk. And he mm-hmm. jumped way too high in the air. Like I, I'm not sure he would have made it to the basket comfortably – even if there was nobody on the court with them. But it was a very impressive in a, uh, move. But you know what it rem- I was reminded on that play, and if you want to watch the replay, you can. So Embiid plays pretty remarkable defense there. He goes he screaming on help defense, leaps. I mean, I knew this already, but I had forgotten. My God, does Embiid hit the floor hard a lot. He went yeah, flying on that play and went crashing into the floor and went tumbling down the, down the baseline. I was like, oh, my God. He's just fearless for a guy who's had a lot of you know foot and knee injuries. The guy just flies all over the place. Oh, my God. I don't know if he should. I mean, you know, we're in game one. Let him have the dunk. I mean, geez, oh, man. I, I, I couldn't no, believe how hard he hit the court but that's, on that. That's not Embiid's makeup, right? So I know. Sometimes Embiid You're cares right. about some of the wrong things, you know. And the reason Jalen Brown went for that dunk was because remember the p- played earlier in the game, when he was in transition and Embiid blocked him from behind. 
And so he's like, man, I owe this dude one. And this is, they, their, their mentality is somewhat similar, I would say. And I love how Jalen's staring him down when in fact he probably really didn't dunk it. It was, I love yes. this. It great yeah, moment. it was, uh, it was a, it was a cool moment. So Andrew, I was really depressed this week. Um, it was absolutely uncalled for, but, uh, we got a surprise three inch snowstorm and it was this wet, heavy snow and the leaves were still on the trees and a bunch of trees came down and 50,000 people in my town lost power. Like nobody was prepared for it. It just kind of like, Oh yeah, it might snow today. And it was like a debilitating storm and all these people lost power. Um, but I learned when that happened that my simply safe system uh, home security system, um, it doesn't actually need power to keep working. Um, it was still on and protecting my house. Now I have to say that nobody in my town was interested in robbing my house that time. They're all in their own houses crying because winter apparently he started and, and we didn't have a fall. But in the event that there was a rogue actor out there that wanted to break into my house, he would have gone into the simply safe teeth that protect my home. And so just because there may be power outages does not mean the beast that is simply safe stops working. Wait, and how, how does it keep working if there's no power? I don't know, Andrew. It just does. That's the genius of it. Oh, okay. And it's, and it's not even, um, that expensive. It's not, it's not like a, uh, you know, something that you'd have at like uh, uh, an air base or something like that. And, um, you know, you get storms out there in L.A. You know? Yeah, I can, uh, I can absolutely relate because we had a massive storm in Los Angeles. It drizzled for a solid 45 minutes unexpectedly. <laughs> right. And people Chaos had ensued. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> right. There was just like traffic jams and accidents everywhere. Um, but, Yeah. I, that story didn't go anywhere. I had nothing else to say. Well, yes, but I will say that, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how often that that is going to be relevant because obviously you're going to have your power when intruders want to barge in, but it just impressed me. I thought it was pretty cool. So there's a lot of other cool, simply safe features. Um, they have 24 seven, uh, professional security monitoring and it's just 1499 a month. Um, no contracts, no hidden fees, all that good stuff. You know, they couldn't get away with that anyway. So go to simplysafe.com slash hoop and uh, learn all about it. That's simplysafe.com slash hoop to protect your home and family today uh, from those folks trying to intrude on you when there's a power outage or even when the power is on. Simplysafe.com slash hoop. The one thing I, w I do want to talk about before we go uh, is the death of Paul Allen. Yes. Um, I happen to be on the, uh, phone with a general manager, just, you know, talking, comparing notes and whatever. And I got, uh, the notification that Paul had died and I told him and the guy was just gutted, you know, an opposing general manager, you know, not, mm -hmm. you know, not anybody who was really tied to him or anything, but, uh, um, and you know, in beyond, you know, we're not going to do an obit here. There's plenty of obits out right. there. But um, I don't know what this is going to mean uh, short term for the Blazers. You know, they haven't really announced he, he, he was not married and he did not have any children. 
Um, he is, his sister lives in Seattle and from, I don't, I'm just basically saying what I've read. I, I don't know this to be mm-hmm. true, but his sister uh, apparently is very, uh, is very much of an NFL fan and the expectations that she will be involved in the Seahawks, but that she doesn't have a lot of interest in the Blazers. Um, and, uh, the, 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 his company, his holding company that sort of owned all of his stuff is called Vulcan Inc. And, um, not endearingly, uh, the, the executives who work for Vulcan are known as, uh, the Vulcans. Uh, when, uh, in the league, when you talk to other teams, they say, well, the Vulcans are unhappy or the Vulcans are happy. Um, Vulcan put out a statement saying, um, that, Paul Allen made his plans known, but now is not the time to uh, to discuss it. I wonder what's going to happen with the Blazers. I wonder who's going to make the decisions, the major decisions short term, and I wonder what's going to happen with the franchise long term. Oh, I think this hurts him a lot because when um, <clears throat> when this happens, you don't know exactly who's in control. And it's interesting you say that you thought the sister would keep the Seahawks. I thought I had seen something from one of the sports business journals that said she would sell both teams. So I don't know. Well, that, I, I, I had... let, let me be clear. I, um, she was more interested and more involved with the Seahawks than the Blazers. Okay, sure. So, that makes sense. Yeah. But so, I think whenever yeah. you have a situation like this, the people that take over, what happens? They immediately become conservative. That's just the nature of it. Let's protect our investment. We don't even know what the well, investment is yet. Especially and if so, they're preparing for a sale. Well, that's it. And they are going to be preparing for a sale. I think that's, that's undeniable here. And that's bad news for Neil Olshi. It's, you know, it's, it's bad for the team if they want to try to make moves. I think it becomes much harder to do that when you're in this, for lack of a better word, receivership of, um, of Vulcan and, and the sister. So I think this is very bad for Portland. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah, it's destabilizing for sure. Now, uh, Paul Allen and, you know, I guess Vulcan Inc. owns not just the Blazers, but owns the arena. Mm-hmm. Um He's, they're pretty heavily invested, you know, in the, uh, in the city. And, um, if the team were to be put for sale, my guess would be that the arena would be put for sale too. So the person or entity that bought them would probably still be invested in staying in Portland. Also, Portland is a vibrant, even though it's a small market, it's a growing market. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the NBA has any interest in moving out of there, but. Which is just something you have to say when a small market team comes for sale. I, right. I, I, I just just well, say that. But you know. But what do we make it, of all the talk recently about Seattle and that Seattle deserves a franchise? Well, I still think so, Memphis is the one to keep an eye on there, and that's yeah. you know that's it's, it's mm-hmm. several years from now. So 2021. So th- th- they're they're renovating Key Arena. They're going to begin very right. soon, and it will be ready about th- 24 months from when they. Start digging, and I think they're going to start digging uh, like later this year. So the pretty much the about, about by 2021 there will be an NBA available facility there. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, the Grizzlies, I have been told, have a arena out opportunity in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, although Robert Pear, I just have to say, Robert Pear, the owner, is on the record saying he has no intention of moving. Uh, you know, but whatever. I just. But, well, let's see what um, their attendance looks like in the few years between now. And more, now. more to the point, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up, um, you know, there's going to be some pressure applied to the Blazers this year if they're not having a good year, and it involves Damian Lillard. He has rattled the cage mm-hmm. a little bit. He he had a couple of meetings. In fact, um, 
if I'm not mistaken, he um, you know he met with Paul Allen midway through last year, a meeting that he requested, and basically was like, "Hey, we need to get better." And I think he had intended and wanted to have another meeting with Paul Allen this summer, but Paul was ill. And uh, I don't know if that meeting actually took place. But Damien was, you know, they ended up with a three seed, but I don't think he was satiated, uh, especially this summer when, you know, they really did not add much to the team. Um, well, and they got swept. So the three seed is like, right. I mean, that's about as unsatisfying right. a three seed as you could possibly have. They had a great finish right. to the regular season and then just got completely humiliated uh, in the first round. And as Jackie mentioned, I mean, Paul Allen was, you know, I mean, he, he had cut back his luxury tax spending in recent right. years, but he was always a guy. I mean, you know, he's one of the richest men in the world. Sure. Um, he was never bought afraid the team to for spend. 70 million, Brian. Bought the, I know. Bought the Portland Trailblazers for $70 million. Yeah. In 1988. And it was one of and the longest signed Evan Turner owners. for that. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and Allen Crabb. And I mean, we can go right. on. Right. Um, you know, paid way more to buy the arena. Um, he didn't own the, the arena was a complicated situation, but he, yeah, they were leasing it from the city, weren't they? I think they were leasing it, leasing it from Portland originally. Yeah. And then it became a contentious situation and the the arena was in bankruptcy and they were fighting. And then finally Paul Allen just said, all right, I'm just going to write a check for it and I'm going to take it. And that was probably about eight or 10 years ago, but, um, but he was always, you know, Portland is a small market. It is a wonderful city. If it's oh, not my favorite NBA city, it's in the top two. And um, with Do Milwaukee. Do you go right to Powell's bookstore? Right to Powell's bookstore? With Milwaukee. Uh, I was just teasing. I mean, I, I do love Milwaukee. Oh. Um, um, but I was just teasing you. Um, I was at, I was inside Powell's in August when I went to, when I went to Oregon found a, on vacation. Found a hardcover copy of Catcher in the Rye there, which is not an easy thing to do. Just saying. Um, uh, took my uh, infant son into Powell's on a Saturday. Uh, he didn't last very long because it was so crowded, but uh, bought some children's books from Powell's. Um, love Portland. Um, very vibrant, but still very much of a small market. Um, and but a small market where they love the Blazers. I mean that that they is do. it's not it's not a New Orleans type small market where it's kind nope. of apathetic towards the NBA. That is an NBA city, and it's a growing city. I I, uh, I think they. Oh, I hope they stay. They, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure. I, I am not worried about them moving. I am worried about what happens if they want to cut payroll. What happens if mm-hmm. Damian Lillard wants them? You know, who does Damian Lillard go to if he's frustrated? You know, I think Neil O'Shea is coming up on a uh, on a contract situation. I think he's like either needs to be extended or something after this year. With Lillard, I mean, I, I don't think it's it's hard to look at the Lakers roster and start you know cranking up the old trade machine. Yeah, I mean, um, the thing like this is a very important year for Brandon Ingram, if for no other reason than he needs to pump his trade value for the Lakers. Um. And, you know, this is his third year. It's the year where he's going to try to establish his contract. And, you know, I'm sure he wants to play with LeBron, but if he gets traded to Portland and then is rewarded with a huge contract or gets traded to Boston, I'm not Boston, New Orleans, you know, I'm sorry. It was in a dream world, you know, the, uh, the Lakers would trade, would make him the centerpiece of a package for Anthony Davis. 
Um, right. But, but, I, but I, uh, I think Brandon Ingram is a big part of the Lakers' future. I, I think he's going to have a great Well, year. unless he could be traded for Damian Lillard or Anthony, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. Well, that's, you know, yeah. that's true with everybody. Everybody can have a great year unless they're going to be traded for Anthony Davis. <laughs> right, right. So I don't know. Like, it, it was a shock. I mean, I know he had announced a couple of weeks ago that he, had, he was starting treatment again. He probably yeah. had... He probably had clearly already started. He probably knew mm-hmm. that he was in, deep, in trouble. Um, but uh, Jackie, had you heard that he was that ill? No, um, I had not. I, I, I had not, I, I had not it's, heard. You know, it's weird. Clue. It's so funny about Paul Allen. Not funny. I don't mean it that way. But you know, we we were talking to him in terms of his um, professional sports ownership because you know, to the rest of the world, he's the founder of Microsoft. You know, right. this is a a subtitle to his larger body of work. And so it's interesting. He was a quirky guy for sure, but it was just when, when he, when he did pass, we, you know, we, it was headlines in, in sports news, but it was certainly headlines all over the world for vastly different reasons. Yeah. He had, you know, his, <laughs> there's so many Paul Allen stories, amazing Paul Allen stories. Uh, I read some of them this week. Jason quick, um, uh, wrote one, um, that uh, the, one, the one year the Blazers were competing for a championship, um, he uh, they, the, t- the team was in San Francisco to play the Warriors, and his his four hundred foot yacht was in San Francisco, like docked there. So he invited the team onto his yacht for lunch, and they took turns on his helicopter that was based on the yacht, flying around the uh, the Bay Area doing tours. They would take like three players at a time. Fly him around the bay, bring him back, get three more players, fly him around the bay. And he told the team, um, if they won the championship the, that year, they could all s- just take the, the yacht and have it for the summer to celebrate on, take it anywhere in the world. Um, <laughs> they didn't win, unfortunately. Um, no. I know that there's it's like a story. like going to an I, amusement park. <laughs> the Paul I, Allen Amusement Park. I think I, I may not have this story a hundred percent correct, but I remember when he hired. That's never stopped you before. You're right, Rich Cho, to be his general manager. Um, he was in his yacht off the coast of Finland, and Rich Cho was coming for the interview, and the, he sent his um, his plane to pick him up in New or- in. Uh, he was working in Oklahoma City, flew him to Finland. And he did the interview on the yacht off the coast of Finland. That was re-interviewed wow. for the for the general manager job. And um, uh, talking to Tom Penn, who used to used to be in the front office for the Blazers, yeah, he was telling me man. about about um, about Paul Allen's house in in Seattle, and it was built along a, a, a hillside, and it sort of tumbled down the hill, and there was a natural stream. That came down the hill, and Paul built his house around the stream. So the Frank stream, right, huh? Right, ran through his house, hmm. and um, uh, he, 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 he had so many cars that he had a. He, he, uh, the way Tom described it, the garage, it was like this forty-car garage, and it was built into the side of the mountain. And so like you couldn't see it and it was just like covered in like, you know, like, you know, foliage and you hit the button Lost. all of a sudden. Yeah. Yes. It would open up and there was all these cars. He had a gas station at his house so that he could keep his cars filled with ah, gas. And like, my, like he, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson right. had that too. Is that right? And he, On um, Ranch, yeah. Yeah. And he had, 
you know, he, he, he had like these, uh, I remember he was saying that, you know, they had organizational meetings one time, um, there in the off season. And then they all went to the airport and they went to Paul Allen's hangar in the airport. And, um, you know, Paul Allen was going somewhere. So he had his, um, G five, which is, you know, like, I don't even know a hundred million dollar plane. And they used his other G five to take oh. the, uh, the front office back to Portland. And I said to Tom, I go, Jeez. why do you need, why do you need two G fives? <laughs> and, and he said, why not? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I could go on and on and on, but I think I'm boring people, but there's, um, there's no, so many cool stories. Guy. Yeah. He's the I guy mean, that remember privately funded the spaceship trip. Yep. Remember he was yep. uh spaceship one, right? Am I right? I, Andrew, he's a big, he was a big star Trek fan. I remember seeing, um, great interviews. Well, with Vulcan, this that. company is Vulcan. Vulcan, right, right, exactly. Right. And you know what else I loved him for? And I learned about this when I started in researching my mental health was that he donated, and I don't know the number, I don't have it in front of me, but tons of money to neuroscience research mm-hmm. um, to try to map the, the cells of the human brain. And, um, uh, Paul Allen was a part of, I think there was like a initial group of billionaires in 2010 that pledged to give half their fortune to philanthropy. That and, was a Bill Gates uh, thing. Right. And he had $13.5 billion at the time. And I think wow. they said he gave away like $3 billion over the subsequent 8 or 10 years. But apparently when he died, he was worth $20 billion. So he somehow made more money than he was able to give away during that. <laughs> you got to have money to make money, Andrew. I think you taught me that. <laughs> wow. Um, That's pretty yeah, cool. I, he yeah. and I, I don't think he and Bill Gates ended up on the greatest of terms. Um, but, uh, um, I, right. I don't know that. I don't know that. He, he, uh, he, he, it's funny. I, one of his prized pieces of memorabilia was the Captain Kirk chair from the Star Trek. Right. Right. He lot, right. A lot of techie of stories about Paul Allen. Right. Yeah. yeah like Quin- um, Quincy Jones used to say that, uh, Paul Allen could play the guitar as well as Jimi Hendrix. He could shred. Yeah. Andrew. That's how you say it. He could shred. <laughs> um, Quincy yes. Jones, just once, can we fear? Isn't that, didn't Quincy Jones write that? Anyway. I'd have to hear <laughs> more digress. of that to know. <laughs> I can name that tune in five notes. Anyway. Well, um, you know that song. You guys know that oh, song. Oh, man. I would I love. I can't sing it because um, we have to pay copyright and infringements. I've learned the hard way through around <laughs> the world. Oh, that's, that's why. Yeah, I can't sing. It costs us, the company, way too much money, Tim, every time I sing. <laughs> you can sing my well, Jack, song. Oh, damn. Another one. You know, I actually had people come up to me in the last week on the road, like not even people that I knew, and say, hey, what happened to the Ban McMahon theme song? Oh, well, rest in peace, all good things McMahon. all good things come to an end, McMahon. It, it went out like Carmelo Anthony's 10 years of starter, which, by the way, shout out to Rockets PR, looked it up. Patrick Ewing was the one who had more starts, 1,118 wow. to start his career. Uh, Carmelo I was love it. 1,054. A working podcast. A working podcast for Ben McMahon. I'm impressed. I've been sitting um, on like 30 minutes trying to figure out how to work it back in just because I, I didn't job. want to leave that hanging. Good job. That's why we love you, Tim. That's why we love you. Um, all right. Well, Jackie's got to do around the horn. I've got to do outside the I lines. Do. McMahon's, McMahon's got to get to shoot around and Han's got to go to bed. Yeah. Um, well, luckily so he's thanks. got his jammies on, so all he has to do is he's roll ready. over. He's ready. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Hoop Collective. We will talk to you next week. Ooh.